ルスですか Boom! What's up, everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakian. Super pumped to have Poe Brunson joining us for his second round on the show. Hey, man. Thanks, man. Hi. Thanks for coming on. So yeah. pumped. So pumped. We just did an awesome panel together on identifying correcting perverse incentives. We did, but I thought the last time I was on Simulation would have Been five months ago, four months ago. It was nine months ago. Nine months ago. Yeah, it was November. Yeah, yeah. And we we did a really good job unpacking Poe's seven New York Times bestsellers. We talked a lot about his journey as an author. That was really fun. You guys can find the link to that interview in the bio below if you want to check that out. For those that don't know, Poe Brunson is a seven-time New York Times bestselling author and strategy director now at Indie Bio, focused on reconceptualizing complex challenges into more elegant forms. He previously co-founded the Writers Grotto, a workspace for 125 professional writers in San Francisco. You can find the links in the bio below to poebrunson.constantly.com as well as indiebio.co and sfgrotto.org. Also, post Twitter and his book link profile. You can find all his books there. Highly recommend checking them out. Paul, let's start things off with talking about this really tr- this big transition that you made to strategy director at IndieBio, and why did you make this transition? What do you see in this field of biotech? Why did it attract you? Okay, so they're both uh, two sides to it. One is my journey as a writer, and the other side is just in all those years I was writing, what I didn't get to do. And I would say that four to five, four years ago, as a writer at the Grotto, I would wander the halls to other writers saying stuff that they didn't understand, like. My publisher is just another corporation. There's nothing different about.、It. Big French conglomerate happens to do make money publishing books, but it just treats us like anybody else. You know,、um, to、uh, writers shouldn't be neutral anymore. They should be from a place, not just write about things.、Mm. I didn't know what I was experiencing. I was have this tapping into these feelings. Um, I felt fundamentally when it came to our concerns and worries of where the world is headed and the future that we're going to create, future that we're going to fight for. I had this narrative sense that what I was writing had. Okay, people are like, what do you mean you didn't have credibility? Like you're seven times you have nine national awards. I'm like, people have the right to hear from. The people actually doing it.、Mm. People's stress and worry makes them want to skip the intermediator, skip the media, hear from the hear hear it right hear the truth right out of people doing it.、Mm-hmm. And and even though journalists we take people into that professionally, there's still this extent to which the journalist as a commentator as a as a philosopher as an interpreter,、yeah. <clears throat> like really has to kind of like like. There are things you know from having done things that are different from things you know from having studied things. Experiences that you've had teach you a different kind of wisdom than what you can get from like scouring the internet, trying to educate yourself, going to school to learn it. You know, and people want to hear from that side of the equation. And in this world, and I felt like that's right. They had the right to, and that for me, I needed 
to be a doer, not just a thinker. And I was the f previous four years sort of having this feeling and kind of looking for like where, where, where could I manifest this? And I would wander around the house saying, you know, to my kids, like, well, you guys go off to college, I'm gonna go back to college, and then I'm gonna get out of college, and I'm gonna get a job. I'm like, you, the job, like, you've never had a, why would you want a job? You haven't had a job in 25 years, it seems like a great life. And, uh, and, and all of these things were calling me, and I listened to them, that's the kind of person I am, without knowing even what they meant. And, I, and, and, and I, I've been at IndieBio for about a year, working as strategy director since January 1st. But, but that call, I mean, I'd been a fan of IndieBio, I'd been around IndieBio, I'd been around a lot of these accelerators and incubators and moonshot places and think tanks. <clears throat> um, and really was attracted to the pace of doing things there. Uh, biology is a challenge because I don't have expertise in biology per se. Uh, at all, um, but it's another sort of ultimately a language and a thing to learn. Yeah. Uh, my wife is a genetic engineer, so I have it in the house, and I've been around it for 30 years, but um, you know, it was really artistically wanting to be biased. Now this is weird, because journalists are supposed to be unbiased, we're supposed to present an unbiased view mm. of the world. And I was, obviously bias has infiltrated the media and all this stuff, and I'm not saying this is just only as a reaction to the fact that bi media has become biased. I'm saying just, well, even if all the last five years was out the media, it hadn't happened. <clears throat> that to, to, to be biased, to, to actually say, not only is this really what I think, but like the added benefit and being at SOSV and IndieBio was, not only is this what I think, I believe that so much, I'm not just telling you, I'm putting, starting out with a quarter million dollars, ultimately going up to millions of dollars, because I believe it so much. And to actually use that bias in a different way, mm. and to be able to, to educate, access, inspire. to educate, inspire, to actually access, that people will hear Arvin and I are working on a book, that people will hear it in a different way. Biology as an engineer is such a cool way of viewing the field. It's again, like, we're not taking people into the halls of Indie Bio. It's not a book about Indie Bio. It's a book about the world that we all live in every day, just from our point of view there, and, and, and informed by like the effort of solving human and planetary health and the science yeah. involved to do it. But the book is the book is every chapter is sort of short and it begins with a normal news headline from every day. The sort of stuff you would read that paints the fact that the world is in chaos and the world is mutating, but just everyday stuff that you wake up every morning. And we start riffing off of that and we turn every chapter into an experiment. And it, so it's a, it's reinterpreting the world. You got hooked into augmenting human and planetary health through biology, through accelerating biology, through accelerating these companies. That's what IndieBio does. Storytelling. And I work there and that's what I do, but yeah. that's, that's my, my artistic voice isn't necessarily rooted per se in that. I do believe that fundamentally biology is intensely critical because of the fundamental, like, I don't want to jump ahead, like, but there is this incredible problem of the natural world's resources I'm not talking about protecting the natural world. I'm just talking about like 
we're running out of sand. And in 70 countries, like sand, like we thought gangs controlled diamonds and prostitutes and drugs, and now they're just stealing beaches in 70 countries around the world. Uh, and there's a shortage of sand because all the sand's been sucked up to be used in concrete for all the new buildings. And China has used more concrete in the last four years than the US used in 100 years. It's, it's ironic in a world that's been covered by desert where desertification, the amount of land that's equal to the size of North Korea or Bulgaria every year is turning to sand, and yet we have a sand shortage. Hmm. Ironically, because desert sand is windblown, so it's too small, fine, and powdery, so it can't be used in concrete. So we're hmm. covering with sand, but have a sand shortage. And the, you know this, the, if, if, if just the middle-income countries, the three billion people in Brazil, Russia, India, Malaysia, China, grow to a Western standard of living, which is what they're on track to do by 2050, absolutely, we would need four Earths of natural resources. So what it fundamentally says is that we have to bring all technologies to bear, but like the kind of stuff we can do digitally, you know, all the kind of cool new things, fundamentally, the idea that future technologies are going to bring us new things we've never seen before is really, that's a tiny slice of what it has to do. And that's actually a, the bias to look for that or even being entranced by it is an oversight to the material and physical world that we're on. And how do we reinvent the very means of production and using these resources, using things that we don't even, who thinks of sand as a technology? We don't think of sand as a technology. But it's a massive part of concrete, and concrete's probably been the like second most powerful technology in humans' history. So how we build everything. Like if you look at, I don't want to say it's not psychologically important, it's not metaphorically important, it, no writer thinks it's important, no, you, it's not ethically, you know, it's just more like actually being used. Can we bio and tech fast enough to innovate on this dilemma where so many people are rising into uh, higher socioeconomic statuses and are going to be consuming more resources? So can we innovate fast enough? Could we also dematerialize and maybe spiritualize ourselves more along the way, grow ethically and morally and uh, all embody some of these roots of indigenous wisdom that you come from source that you identify with your north star as you go on that journey of of bringing these fruits to yourself your family and your community and world and if we can do those things effectively and maybe pair the spiritual wisdom the dematerialization with the innovation in science and technology while people also economically prosper that's kind of a pretty good vision for how to I feel have strong prosperity. If only one of those things comes online, it's not as good as if more of them came online. And so it's kind of a multifaceted awakening um, around the planet to these dilemmas that we face and to leveraging the technologies, embodying the wisdoms, these types of things. So can we do that? Is that what you're asking? It's as though that that's paramount. That's paramount, yeah. It's paramount. Yeah, so yeah. the question is, are we, I, yeah, we, on one hand, we have to do that. I just want to say that, like, there's this thing. I've been d doing a lot of thinking and writing about the way we think about the future, and there's these pitfalls in it. And there's these mental traps and whirlpools that suck us in. And one of them, 
I actually call it affect indeterminacy. And it relates to whether your affect, are you optimistic about the future or are you pessimistic about okay. the future? And we, we believe that this is sort of important and that we need to be optimistic often or the pessimists come off as more credible. And I would argue that they don't matter, they're two sides of the same coin. And they're actually, we call affect indeterminacy after electron indeterminacy, that the very act of looking for the electron means it's not there and it's somewhere else. Yeah. In the same way, the very act of asking, do you feel positive or do you feel negative, causes you to feel the opposite. And so I will say that as we talk here, I want to say that whether, whether I get positive or negative actually is irrelevant. They both lead to being pro-change mm. and that the real villain here is inertia is inertia, is, the ten yeah. is the tendency to, for the world to stay the same. Mm. So you ask, can we have solutions? Yeah, well, there, I, could, I could name 10, 12 different solutions around concrete. Interesting, so an optimist perspective around, yeah, we're tackling all these complex challenges, or pessimist perspective around, we're not tackling them fast enough, yeah. that they both are anti-inertia. They're anti- They're both anti-inertia. Staying in these, these ruts right. of the same old code propagating right. versus both of, as long as a pessimist isn't completely defeatist. Right, as long yeah. as you're not defeatist, yeah. yeah, yeah. They both lead to this sort of like, fundamentally we need to adopt, we do have solutions. I mean, we have 10 or 12 different fixes for concrete all in the dematerialization space, the more sustainable space, and reducing the carbon, sequestering more carbon, <clears throat> filling them with air, building them out of nanomaterials, adding nanomaterial mixes into them, all, all number of ways to handle this thing. And we've been hearing about them for like eight or nine years, and even better ones are coming as we listen to the labs and hear what's being developed. But in the meantime, like in the meantime, like this incredible new solution like actually isn't being implemented in the world. And instead, inertia is prevailing. I think a greatest example of that is, is coal. I had Arvind go to Poland just recently to the Black Triangle to go stare into the open pit mines. Uh, coal there is nearer the surface and it's, it's, it's crappy brown coal, which is like half not coal, it's terribly polluting. Even China has deep restrictions about burning, burning lignite or brown coal. So it's not like Pennsylvania coal that's pretty pure carbon and deep in the earth. This is, they just literally just, like half the size of San Francisco, these, the mine is, just, just rip out the earth. You don't, don't bore holes, don't go down, just, like, just rip it out for like a thousand feet. And just wanted him to stare at it and see this villain, our villain, of inertia. And in a world where people, half the people are saying, oh, the world's changing too fast on us here. I'm like, no it ain't. There's a lot of people like the Turo coal pit, mm. which is the number one greenhouse, getter, greenhouse gas emitter in Poland. And they, you might think the world is, we're pulling back from coal. You know, history will show that the first half of the 21st century was the end of coal's long run, right? I want to give you another example of inertia yeah. and another experiential wisdom that you can gain. It's so cool that Arvind in Poland getting this, because he's literally layering old code of the inertia of burning fossil fuels into his 
mind so that he can then go and realize that the importance of deploying the new codes and helping fund them and, and right, I wanted him to have a to put a face a to face this to abstract thing of a world that refuses to change yes okay so putting a face to this world that's refusing to change I love that and then I want to give you this other example oh my goodness when I went and finally toured Recology I saw the massive garbage dumps. I saw how we recycle. I saw the compost. I saw all of that. And when you see that, it teaches you that the, the, the garbage cycles that we're in as a planet um, and where they go deployed to landfills, where they go deployed to oceans, mm -hmm. all this type of stuff is just atrocious. And um, so that just get, got layered in. And now I'm just, you know, I'm, your mind gets expanded to that new realization. Yeah. You put a face to that, to that right. villain, to that inertia, and then it excites you more to obsolete those codes right. and to go build the new ones. Right. Yeah. Okay, and in cool. the case of coal, in the two decades by which we have brought clean renewable energy online <coughs> and made it more economical, in those same two decades, when you would think, oh, we've got renewable energy now, global coal capacity has doubled. Doubled. The world's share of electricity in 1970 from coal was 30%. Today, you would think it would be much lower than that because of all the other stuff we've got. It's 40% today. Like, the power of inertia is so powerful. People would say, oh, well, it's just corporate profits. No, it ain't. The coal industry is not profitable. Four out of 10 power, coal power plants are unprofitable to run, but are kept running. And even the United Arab Emirates, which has all the gasoline it wants, oil, if it wants to use fossil fuels and be a polluter, or all the desert lands to, and sunshine to make photon solar energy, they're building coal plants. Like coal's inertia, not just coal's inertia, I mean inertia across yeah. everything is so powerful. Damn. 50 years of environmental movement have been no match for inertia. Damn. And I wanted Arvin to you know, see that and, and, and to understand like, uh, I mean, just to have a little more fun with it so we don't get, like, depressing, no. right? But, like, I was like, you know, think about all the Bond, great Bond villains of the Bond films, you know? And they're always, like, trying to, like, blow up the world or screw the world. I'm like, the greatest Bond villain ever would be somebody with, from the Worldwide Organization of Inertia <laughs> <laughs> who's infiltrated government and finance <laughs> and whatever. And, and they're, they, what they do is they, they prevent technological change from happening. Mm. And to, to, so we invented this, this inertia villain in a Bond film to, to further understand what we're up against. Because if you look at like what we're doing at IndieBio and, and what so many other great labs and places are doing, and they're all doing it, they're, they're, the, the rate of innovation around credible solutions is insane. The rate of actual adoption of those is comes down to you know a little solar power and some plant burgers damn inertia, i'm not trying to be negative inertia villains i i, I just i like <coughs> i like how you 
you're painting it in that way. It's now multiple people. Um, Yan was just messaging me about this because Eric Weinstein had um, put a post up about also seeing this as a villain. Some of the gatekeepers, these gated institutional narrative gatekeepers, right. um, that these are villains in a sense. Villains. Who, it, it, we that's need a to, good the, way to put it. Yeah, we all we 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 generally get the premise like, hey, simulation. Alan interviews good guys, generally, right? Good, the good guys and bad guys, male or female, whatever it is. Ask tough general, questions. You know, but like, yeah, yeah. but like, like, um, so who are the bad guys? What are the, what is the face of these bad guys? Yeah, what it's, is the face of them? It's not any one company, like it's not any one CEO. Um, but there are some sneaky ass tactics that have been made um, with, uh, like the deployment of some of the branding of companies like Coca-Cola across the lowest socioeconomic areas around the planet. Uh, absolutely. Um, all these absolutely. types of sneaky things. One more example that I want to mention yeah. before we all keep going is just that another one that just profoundly changed the way I see the world. I'm so happy that it happened in AP Environmental Science for me when I was like 16, 17. Um, I went to a slaughterhouse. Yeah, that's another one. That's just like life changing. Um, when you see the actual pigs, cows, chickens just getting slaughtered, when you see them just getting gas and all trying to escape for their lives, and um, the massive blade that just goes chops their throat, slices them in half. I mean, it's just it just changes the way that you. It's forever. different today, just just so you know, but it's still happening. Oh, but it's yeah, a different there's still methodology videos from around done. the world of them just <coughs> taking the 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 the. the I think it's a hydraulic or a pneumatic press that just goes right into their skull and they just drop dead too. Like whatever's more humane, but um, yeah. any, yeah. So, so point being is that all of these, if you can look at a slaughterhouse or one of the um, garbage uh, uh, dumps, or if you can look at a coal power plant, if you can look at these as villains and, and see it as old code and inertia and see yourself having conversations with your friends and creating new codes, as exactly what we need to do to obsolete the old ones. This is a really powerful story, and I like how you synthesize it into uh, the inertia villain. I cool. like that. That's what I do. I mean, I take I take the stuff we know and I give it right back to you, a little bit different. Yeah. And sort of help us grasp it a little better. Yeah. Know? It's um, such a unique skill. We need more synthesizers, <coughs> and that requires more people to be polymaths, which also the massive this gated institutional narrative also the these sociopathic and pathological institutions around us they don't like polymaths they don't like people that have deep breath that can make unique novel connections that can synthesize and storytell in ways that inspire and engage people and um we need more of those and i think that's the role of of, of what your worldview is in this sense what about um logic leaps let's hit those two do we can we get yeah, there? well i was okay so Kind of talking about go ahead, yeah. Inertia. Do that, and, and I was talking about there. affect. We should probably talk a little if you want to ask a little more about like what I'm doing in bio, whatever. But it doesn't. You're in talking the in talking about tell. the future. We, I mentioned affect indeterminacy. This sort of like what well, we sort of weighted as you know some people are negative about the future and some people are positive and there's two types. I'm like no, you're the same type and. The very asking flips your mind, and you don't know whether to be positive or negative, and we're unconfused about it, but it doesn't matter. Um, another really common uh, mental pitfall or trap that I see is what I would call the sort of the, uh, we call, we, we nickname at IndieBio the black hole effect. Okay. 
which is this tendency when you're looking at a world problem to sort of uh, black holes start to suck everything around them in and the whole universe can get sucked the in. The villain right? inertia is too strong. Right, so you look at a problem uh, and people really quickly start saying the real problem is capitalism itself. The real problem is industrial agriculture or influenced by capitalism. The real problem is human nature. You know, and where you just started with a very particular problem, like why are the bees dying in the winter? Mm. And it's the real, it would just, just black hole everything into this. Okay. And, and the tendency that if you're actually trying to work on that problem, that that kind of thinking, that sort of boiling the ocean way of thinking is not helpful. It's a, definitely a privilege that no startup gets to indulge. They, 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 don't, they don't get to fix, you know, end capitalism and then solve their problem. Like they got to solve the problem, you know, fighting capitalism with better capitalism. They've got to, you know, use venture capitalists and hedge funds to try to solve their problem and they have to work in a market economy. Mm. And that this, you have to really be careful about this overdoing it and understanding when you begin to sort of thinking about the problem, often that becomes a distraction from seeing like a potential solution or, or, or a real solution. Um, I mentioned bees and so I just think like we, we have a company that went through Dubai a year ago, B-Flow, yeah. and in, had phenomenous yeah. data after a year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're, at least so far in all the trials, they're not just saving the bees. I mean, the bees are crazy healthy and they're saving the plants and, and you know, they, they're That's doing how it. you tackle it. They're doing it with yeah. a hedge fund yeah. and with the world's largest berry farmer, industrial agriculture. They're saving the bees. And, and their in key insight was fundamentally that, right, pesticides are stupid. Pesticides are designed to kill insects and a bees and insects. Why would you use a pesticide? Like, it's crazy. But that right there on the flower, plants and insects, bees in this case, share compounds. So the very same compounds that make heal a plant can heal the bees. Mm -hmm. And if you exchange those those plant compounds with the bees. The other thing is the bees, bees love to do their work. And the more they visit any flower, the better the berries will be off that flower and the healthier the bees will be. Mm. And so using their science and their AI and their study of bee flight made them into this sort of service where it's like they're kicking ass. And, but, and sure, you could say, everybody, I asked my 15-year-old daughter, you know, what's the problem with the bees? Oh, the real problem okay. is capitalism. So you have to use some of the old code, these old ruts, some of the inertia systems as you're designing some of the new codes to maybe fund or to market to some of those companies to, to kind of propagate out the new codes. Sometimes you have to use the old ones. Well, I wouldn't just say it's old code. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like... I think we have to be more precise. Like it depends on where you're getting the money from. Just like where it depends on where. But you're that's getting a very important. From, I mean, yeah. I used to work in Wall Street, so I would let me split the difference here. I would say that largely equity investors, for the most part, 
you'll find plenty of exceptions. For the most part, are putting in large chunks of money into a corporation because they believe in its plan to change or the change it's trying to make happen. And I would be say largely loans, debt, long-term debt, junk debt, high-yield debt, its arbitrage is that the world won't change. So if you go back to coal, you know, largest bankruptcy in history, Warren Buffett lost tons of money earlier in the decade, TRX, a big LBO, big coal energy plants in Texas, Oklahoma, wherever it was, $37 billion, and they were counting on the world not changing, then the world changed, and they lost all this money. That borrowing money, like if you see a corporation being resistant to change, you can pretty much guess that they've borrowed money. And that borrowing means the world can't change on us, otherwise we won't be able to pay off this debt. So I would, you know, I really say like, have some rigor when we look at say, the old code of capitalism. Fight capitalism, better capitalism. Like, pick out the parts that are working, and change and edit the parts that aren't working. Yeah, okay, so and take I, the good code from inertia and then change and edit um, or obsolete the, the old ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at that particular example, what is someone call, the reason these coal plants are being run, I mean, they're unprofitable like I described. Okay, well, they're political power and this and that, but ultimately, they're running the plants at a loss because they still keeps them from having to write down the whole plant and to pay off the bonds that they and the debt that they borrowed to build the power plant, the billion-dollar power plant in the first place years ago. Obligation. I want <coughs> you to teach us about warp speed effect too. Yeah. So warp speed effect is this tendency when we hear about a new technology to quickly like warp speed way ahead. CRISPR, oh, designer babies, right? Um, it's not always negative. I mean, sometimes it's positive, you know, like, oh, we got this new thing, immunotherapy, cancer's over, you know, like, there's so much work that goes into these things. And I would say, not only are you missing all of those steps to understand what's really going to happen, but that we, that if we engage the ideas only on the broadest sense, then we're only sort of consuming the idea, and then we're constantly looking for the next idea and the next idea, the next cool technology, the next cool technology. We're on, oh, I've heard of all those concrete dematerialization technologies. I read about that five years ago. Give me the new one, mm. right? And we all, and I'm like, we didn't even get that last one in yet. Implemented. That one's, yeah. I didn't even have a startup on that one. Yeah. Or, you know, like, or that one's, that one's still at the seed stage. I'm like, you're racing ahead to the new one. It, <clears throat> we, we put ourselves in a very sort of precarious and ungrounded spot when we sort of race ahead to these things. It's one of the things that we have to be sort of, even in just sort of discussing the future around the bio, it's like we really try to stay within, like, don't, don't talk about stuff that's beyond, like at night if you want to, but around here, let's talk about stuff that's in the next 25 years. You know, period of time we're all gonna be working in a lot. Like the period of time under the UN Sustainable Goals. Let's mostly talk about stuff in the next 12 years. And not get fanciful and way out there 
because uh, just too much has got to be done here. Yeah. I believe that we do go there uh, sort of inevitably because we just kind of hit the accelerate button and we try to imagine what the future is going to be. Uh, well, we go there often idea. to displace our fear of the near, the near future is very scary, so we go to the far future mm. Mm. <coughs> to avoid the fear and the problems of the near future. So it's like an escapism. We want to see what's in that space, in that possibility space too. So these like abstract synthesizers can then create what is in the potential possibility space in the creative endeavoring of running these permutations of startups and seeing what they can do. And then they explain it to others and then, then we kind of get to say, well, maybe these couple aren't as, uh, won't be as optimal as these other ones, so let's run these first. But then new technologies can come out that can maybe even leapfrog what yeah. some of the old ones are doing. There's a lot of nuance to that point, but Space I Space gets I into this a lot. Yeah. Like, Arvin challenged me to go look for life on other planets. And uh, I was like, that's a tough idea. Yeah. How am I gonna do that, Europa right? Titan. What's that? Gotta go to Enceladus, Europa, Titan. No, no, So, but I mean, I'm not going to Europa and Titan. Like, I'm, I gotta go look for it, like, now. I mean, I, I did, like, a few weeks ago. You're going to go to, like, Antarctica or something? No, so I, I did it. I, uh, I figured out how to do it, which was um, <laughs> I went to, I found this professor of astronomy at Caltech, Greg Hallinan, who had discovered a rogue planet, figured out how he had done it, learned what he was doing down in the Owens Valley in was California. It transit photometry through the Kepler telescope? No, so Kepler and Tess are doing observations of planets without knowing whether they're habitable. And you can sort of say whether they're in the habitable zone or in the Goldilocks era, but in the end, a planet's got to have a magnetic field to, to hold on to its atmosphere in the presence of coronal mass ejections, which are, you know, Mars used to have an atmosphere and had life on it, and when it lost its magnetic core, our sun just destroyed and ravaged its atmosphere really fast. <clears throat> so. What you're looking for uh, with the radio telescopes is the interference from essentially auroras. On the, the, the optical telescopes have discovered the, these possible planets in order to be able to see uh, with the radio um, the presence of a magnetic field and a potential atmosphere. So you're looking for the, what is an yeah. aurora. You're, you're looking, looking for the coronal for the... mass ejection hitting an atmosphere. Yeah, and they're doing yeah. this down at Caltech because then you can break up the light that's shining from the host star through the atmosphere and see if there's oxygen or carbon. Or that's, that places. would be a different telescope. Yeah. But yes, that's once, you, yeah. once you have, you know to do that, because you have to, to do that, you have to take a lot of resources and you know, stare it at that planet. So this is more of a way to look at all planets all the time, the entire sky. So, so they're so, using test database? Or? Tess and Kepler database. Yeah, 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 and then and then so they, they all they, so their telescopes are actually like like this like they're about four feet high and they're shaped like an antenna, but a little teepee frame pointed at the ground, and or you know pointed actually like more like a pyramid shaped, mm -hmm. and they take in the entire and they have them all spread out over the desert valley. Where where are they? Owens Valley. Owens Valley. Okay. Yeah, cool. Owens Valley was like where Los Angeles's water supply is. Whoa. You know, forget about it, Jake. It's Chinatown. That that place. Yeah. And uh, it's between cool. Mammoth Mountain yeah. and the Inyo Mountains nice. on the Eastern Sierras, and middle of the desert. And they've got all these, you know, little antennas the size, same size of your camera is just there, 
cost 200 bucks a piece, just spread out everywhere, listening at all time to all these planets. And why were you given this challenge? <clears throat> for the book. For the book. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. Hey, Figure out how to go look for life on other planets. Yeah, yeah, that's a good chapter. Yeah, it is. And sending Arvin to Poland for seeing the the inertia of the villain inertia is also is also a really good way of of piecing together what needs to be done to to tackle the the inertia of the villains. Um, Poe, a couple other thoughts on the way um, for those that are like around the world that are that are tuning in that don't have like a local accelerator maybe around them or that uh, or don't necessarily have mentors or entrepreneurs around them. What are the things that you can recommend people to do to, um, to get inspired or engaged around tackling some of the inertia around these villains and deploying new codes? That's, that's a great question. I think about this all the time. Um, because I was attracted to IndieBio because it's not a think tank, it's a do tank, right? It's not an ivory tower, it's an ivory basement, right? Like they're doing stuff there. And <coughs> I wanted to get out of the mode of just thinking. And so you're, you're asking fundamentally to, to a awoken world that wants to get involved, wants to act, doesn't quite know how to do it, how to apply, they may, you know, they don't have a PhD in, in some field of life sciences, right? Um, what, what is the big collective embrace, the hug, the, the invite mm. to, to, to people who don't run the corporations mm. and, the, and the, they don't sit on government yeah, yeah. bodies? And the obvious one is always to vote. Like that's the most obvious power we have and to like, use our power for to that way way more than we have been just way way more um, and I would say um, like let me try to connect it this way uh, before I came to Dubai, right, I, I was staring at our future as you were, we all were, right? And I was desperate for a plan, desperate for a plan for how the world, how is the world actually gonna unfold? Yeah. Not just a plan to escape, but even just like our ultimate death in 12 years, like how is it gonna happen? You know, like whatever way, like how is this gonna get resolved? I was desperate for this roadmap. And I was doing a lot of lucid dreaming in the morning. And I would play this game of five-sided chess where one player was climate change and one player was inequality and one was the genomics revolution and <clears throat> um, one was the rise of China. And, and I would imagine in the years 2030 to 2040, how, which one's gonna dominate? Which one's gonna change the world more? How's the other one going to react? The war running on simulations. Truth. Running simulations in my mind every morning. Did it for years. I was desperate for a plan. And what I have sort of come to in my time at IndieBio, which doesn't have any such plan, just relentlessly experimenting, was that there is no plan, there's just a way. It's just a way, and that way is to relentlessly experiment. And 
and like the benefit and power of that, the fact that you can't just linearly or exponentially extrapolate how the future is going to happen, that future technology today lives in a world where people fight back actively against it, which it never, back in Alva Toffler's day, they didn't ha he didn't have to deal with that. He didn't, go, he didn't go and say, well, what happens if half a society, he was like, no, people will be like, there'll be some people who are unhappy, there'll be some Luddites, but basically people are so afraid of falling behind mm -hmm. that they will get on board yeah, yeah. and that these technologies will happen. And the era he predicted, pretty much the 1990s, did happen and he was really right about it, but we're in a new era now where people are just, they've got governments, they've got financial institutions, they've got TV shows, they're fighting back against, the inertia is fighting against the technological adoption that we're creating. Mm. And, and so I would advocate to people and listeners that to understand the importance of, of a world that, it, the world doesn't just mutate, the world experiments, yeah. and then mutations rot. Yeah. And, and I would say experiment, experiment, experiment. Yeah. Those and I would say there is no plan, I cannot give you an answer. We have to, the future we get will be the future we fought for. And exactly what to fight for and how to fight for it is something we all have to experiment. We have to invent the way that we all participate. Mm -hmm. Right? That's up to all of us to do. That was the first one you said was to get engaged in the political process, also to get educated with all of the content that exists out there that can um, awaken us and then educate us towards the point of being able to politically engage more effectively. And then what are the tools that enable that? And then also experientially, how do we run all these different permutations of possibilities as like startups and as endeavors that tackle things like the SDGs that tackle the, the inertia of the villains that propagate new codes? I will say ultimately that labor strikes will be useless and that consumption strikes are the only way to go. So to stop consuming. The only way to stop inertia be like, just pick a month, February. Yeah, and all Every February, we all stop buying. From X vendor. Yeah. No, I, uh, all of it. Only way to get people's attention. P punish it at the heart. Yeah. Just economic activity, GDP. Yeah. GDP. I was I was actually really <coughs> wanting GDP to have a full get people's day attention. of just no economic activity. It would be yeah. great. Could we do one full day of no economic activity as a planet where everyone just chills the fuck out and just does not go and consume anything all day long, and we just chill as a whole planet? The turn the economy off for a day, press that pause button for, for a day. our mental health. But I, I'm talking about it as a form of strike. As yeah. a strike, correct against someone yeah. that that isn't an, an inertia, a villain with deep inertia. That's a, and yeah. I would say that that's that, that everyone's going to stop is not going to happen. The point is that enough people would stop that you, and you're not symbolically hurting the economy. You're actually hurting it. Saying you love your GDP so much, that's what we're going after. Mm. We're, and, yeah. and, and you know, a big chunk of civilized society just says we're gonna we're we're sending your GDP in the other direction. Like the until like you the pay attention, to trying us. to get that next to to dividend <coughs> payment and. And I say a labor strike doesn't work because just not enough people have jobs. So and and or you get the strike is just a bunch of people who don't have jobs or. <coughs> it's like like, 
I guess technically Arvin's my boss, right? Like if I took one on strike at IndieBio, I wouldn't be like changing my boss. Like plenty of people's bosses, like they're not the bad guy. Like it, it's it's really where it hurts, like in the actual wallet. Like, yeah. The whole thing. Yeah, where you 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 vote with your money every single day. So right, and we vote for the money every single day, and we can choose to buy the plant over the meat, and we can choose to buy sustainable over non-sustainable. And what's quietly happening among what I call the thrift class, the people who, you know, just their jobs are sort of the underemployed kind of class, is that they are, they are doing a sustainability through simplicity. They're buying tons less and finding other ways to, to be entertained. I mean, it helps that video games and podcasts and YouTube and great intellectual shows, the whole gamut of it are largely free. Yep. So it's super entertaining. It's one of my friends who said it's never been more entertaining to be poor. Like, mm. it's like it's great, you know. And so it makes it a lot easier. And and but their their way of breeding, of managing this and owning it is through the spirit of and philosophy of simplicity. It's much more sustainable, lower consumption, you know. And uh, you know that 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 that's happening. Uh, and it, but it's not just like choose this over that. It's actually choose neither. Stop it. And only then will we have people's attention. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Strike with that's what I how think you going vote with your money. That's a big one to be able to galvanize people on a whole month of striking against something that we don't believe in anymore. That we want to obsolete that code and also just be very careful if there's if the man or woman does not have their north star identified and they're not waking up every day pursuing it it's really easy to fall into distractions and deceptions and manipulations and things that take people away from pursuing what brings them most meaning and then then they become more uh, susceptible to interference from those um, inertia villains i just want to be clear I, i'm not advocating that I'm advocating a lot more easy solutions than that. I sort of think that's what people will realize is going to need to happen. Yeah. I yeah. actually I'm predicting that more like that's what will happen, not what yes. I want to happen. But, I, there's tons of things I would like to happen. The short term stuff that. is not that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the short term stuff was all the other things that we talked about in the yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. This has been very solid. We have a lot more to um, unpack on another conversation together. This is really cool that you've been, you know, synthesizing what you've been doing at Indie Bio um, with storytelling, with also just the way that you're like elegantly compressing things to make it easier for people to understand and get engaged. Like, go and visit a slaughterhouse. Go and visit one of the coal plants. Go and visit a garbage company. Like, just go and visit the old code mechanisms. Um, go and see how sugary soft drinks get bottled um, and all that type of stuff. How they get made. Just do these little tiny things where you can go and face old code and face the villains and then it can inspire you to get engaged through your own education, through your own um, voting, through your own experiential learning and setting up entrepreneurship. Yeah, these have been, this has been a solid episode, Poe. Thank cool. you. Thank Thanks, you for man. coming on. This is awesome round two. Cool. Yeah. Good. Good job. Thanks, man. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Let us know what you're thinking. Have more conversations with your friends, your families, coworkers, people online on social media about these perverse incentives, how we're fixing them as a society, how we're tackling these, the villains and the inertia that they have with entrepreneurship and creativity. 
and actualizing more people around our world. Also, check out the links in the bio below to poebrunson.constantly.com, indiebio.co, sfgrotto.org, and also post Twitter profile and his book list. Check those out, everyone. Thank you, Ori Shapiro, for producing. We greatly appreciate it, Ori. And also, go and support the artists, the entrepreneurs, the spiritual leaders, the organizations around the world that you believe in support simulation. Our links are below as well. Our Patreon, cryptocurrency, PayPal links are all down there, so support us. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you very much. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you soon. Peace.